Um, and so Jose and I and my brother and my dad, we all crammed into that to that house uh, for like, feels like it was longer than it was, but it was probably only like a couple of years, right? It seemed like forever, yeah. Yeah. Welcome to Conversation on Tap, a lively podcast that seeks to promote intelligent dialogue in an age of echo chambers and self-segregation. Pull up a stool, pour a glass of tasty beer, and join us each week as we talk about all the topics that you were told not to discuss in Polite Company. My name is Jose. And I'm Joel. And this week, we will be joined by Henry Houston, a staff writer for the Eugene Weekly. Uh, also my cousin, so I don't know if that counts as nepotism. But uh, we're going to talk about, you know, just kind of life as a journalist right now, especially in Oregon, kind of hit on some of my favorite um, articles he's written, and uh, just kind of what's going on in Oregon vis-a-vis the coronavirus. But first, let's talk about what we have on tap. Joel, are you drinking anything? Well, today is uh, Cinco de Mayo, so I'm drinking a German beer because all these Mexican beers are because of German transplants in uh, in Mexico. When I went up to Acapulco on a cruise ship once that was so interesting to me that all these germans uh you know settled in mexico and brought their beer with them i think like all the main mexican brands are german so i didn't have any mexican beer in my fridge anyway so saint Pauli girl it is what are you drinking Ooh. so you know my wife uh had a hankering for some uh lizard's mouth so ah. i went to this went to two stores to find lizard's mouth and uh the guy who works at uh, Dino's told me, nope, because of the coronavirus, they've shut down. They're not bottling. They're not brewing. Um, I guess uh, they furloughed or laid off a lot of people. My gosh. That and, is uh, crazy. So That's Lizard's Mouth is gone. You know, that is – I would be remiss if I didn't discuss the role of beer in uh, epidemics and pan- pandemics throughout history. Beer has saved countless lives – of course, because of the alcohol in it. And little kids would drink it back in the Middle Ages, and, and oh, wow. their lives were saved. So uh, Lizard's Mouth, with its high alcohol, would have been, yeah, top top choice. Oh, Once I, I, she said it, I had a hankering for it. So oh, Yes, I have a hankering right now for it. See, I, I got a hankering for Lizard's Mouth, but uh, I settled with the Lagunitas IPA, India Pale Ale, which is really, it's really good, too. You know, it's, it's, it's no Lizard's Mouth. It's got 6.2% alcohol by volume. So yeah. I think Lizard's Mouth is like 9%. <laughs> yeah, Lizard's Mouth is dangerous, but so tasty. Oh, so good. And now for the segment of our show that we call Fred Talks. In this segment of our show, Joel and I will each share one thing that we are passionate about for two minutes, though we tend to be a bit loquacious, so that isn't a strict time limit. Uh, This week, I just want to discuss real quick how with all the coronavirus, COVID-19, business going on, social distancing, you know, a lot of Christians, um, Catholics in particular, we are not going to mass. We are not going to celebrate together. We're not worshiping together. Uh, instead, like I've been watching or streaming mass from home, so it's virtual. You know, and, and it's in one way I, I like 
that I'm able to to remain in touch with my parish. I'm able to um, be present, even if from a distance, at the celebration of the Mass. And I'm, I'm able to join with my priest um, in the prayers simultaneously because I watch it live. But I do have to say that it's just it's just not the same. And I think a lot of Catholics are feeling that right now, especially because Catholicism in particular is very incarnational. In other words, we're very um, mindful of the body. That's why we're very sacramental, right? Like water with baptism, the bread and the wine of the Eucharist, reconciliation or confession, you know, and you actually hear the voice, you speak your sins. On and on and on. It's very incarnational. And right now, with all this digital, virtual celebration of the Mass, we're very disconnected. We're not able to come together as the body of Christ. And so I think all of this is making Catholics and Christians, but I think Catholics in particular, are very aware that this can't be the norm. We can't do this. This can't be how we normally come together in worship. As the body of Christ, we have to come together in fellowship in person, right? We have to hug and shake hands. And it's very incarnational. That's the only way I can put it. And I think this is making us very aware of that. And I think once all these restrictions are lifted, I think people are going to, I genuinely believe, I hope that people will in large numbers return to mass and really appreciate what what we've missed all this time. Yeah, that's Fred talk. Yeah, there's got to be um, some reason that community and communion both have the same prefix there. So yeah, for sure. I see it with my relatives too, and they're they're missing of of things being in the flesh, incarnate. Yeah, definitely, definitely. What do you got, Joel? I'm going to talk about something that isn't educational, but I have to bring it up. I um I want to talk about the fact that the 1619 project won the Pulitzer in the New York Times. And one of my favorite journalists, and we're going to have Henry Houston on as a journalist today, um, he's he's more of a commentariat. Uh, Andrew Sullivan hated that um, series from the New York Times that basically um, showed the importance of slavery and the fact that African-Americans have been able to to withstand and to to not, <laughs> I don't want to say that they have um, progressed because they they are still seeing the effects of slavery, but they have been able to survive even through all the ill effects of slavery throughout the years and, and the fact that slavery slavery's effects are still with us. So Andrew Sullivan, who I generally love, in fact, I love him because um, he's the type of guy who can call out the left and the right, and he called out the left recently for not taking the Tara Reid story as um, as seriously as they might have taken the Kavanaugh case. And I think he's got a great point. And I'm, but I got to say, I'm super, super proud of a lot of liberals for saying the same thing as Sullivan, and saying, yeah, you know what? If we're gonna um, if we're gonna call out Kavanaugh, we have to also call out um, Biden. So Sullivan generally does a good job, but he sucks on this whole 1619 project. And I just want to call him out. He thought that that uh, project was wrong on its merits. And he just recently uh, tweeted something so ridiculous. He said that all historians or something to the effect of all historians disagreed with major portions of it, which he's mischaracterized the series from the start. And I'm just super stoked that the 1619 project and go you can either listen to the podcast or go read the whole thing at New York times. It's it's, it really brings to light the importance of slavery in our country's history. It's all it does. And the fact that Africans have been able to survive it is just remarkable. 
So anyway, that's it. I'm stoked for the wow. 1619 project, and I want to call out Andrew Sullivan for being such a twit. Yeah, I, I know you have a lot of respect for him, and as do I. Man, this is that's disappointing. I didn't know he was against that. But uh, as for the Tara Reid thing, I want to jump back on that just real quick. Yeah, I want to hear your. I really want to hear your uh, opinion. I actually, on- two things. One. I think for liberals and for and we talked about this, Joel, in our very, very first episode. Yeah, I episode know. One, we mansplain hashtag me too. Yep. Yep. And we talked about how they would eventually be a reckoning. Yep. And I think this might be it where yep. we have gone so far in the sense of believe her automatically believing any and all accusations. Yeah. To the extent the person who's accused is automatically assumed to be guilty right and so i don't necessarily think this lady is telling the truth honestly and i don't want to sound like a hypocrite i'm sure that's what andrew sullivan is saying like if you don't believe her you're a hypocrite but uh, i think this is where maybe we need to step back and go like let's take every case on its merits Instead of just just all across the board, every woman who makes some allegation is telling the truth. But here's the thing. Biden is not walking back his, um, I think it's Title 10 ideas um, from the Obama um, days. He is, which, of course, if, if you follow that, you know that men who get accused, women too, are not allowed to to like confront the, the accuser, are not allowed all these things that are just basically fair <laughs> in, in, in regular court. And so he's not walking that back, and he needs to, because from the start, Obama um, and, and Biden were wrong on the whole, um, on just automatically uh, believing any accuser. You have to take, just like you said, every single case um, on its own merit. And and we also have to be super um, willing just to say, we don't know. We don't know yeah. on the Kavanaugh case, and we do not know on this Reed case. And I think people always feel like they have to take a stance instead of just saying, nah, we don't know. It was that long ago. And yeah, there's evidence here and evidence for it and against it, but you know, we just don't know. So I totally agree with yeah. your assessment that we have to take it on its merits, each one on its merits. So it's interesting to me then for people to especially Trump supporters, to attack Biden on this point when Biden has never had any allegation at all whatsoever. And Trump has like 20, 25 allegations. Whoa. I, did, I did try and <laughs> She was married. <laughs> huge news, Sarah. I moved on her like a bitch. He's on tape saying, grab her by the Grab him by the You know, when you're a celebrity, you can do whatever you want. You can kiss him. I just start kissing them. It's like a magnet. You just, like, I don't even know. And when you're a star, they let you do it. You can do anything. And, and so, f- to me, it's the height of hypocrisy. Absolutely. And all of a sudden, I see her. She's now got the big phony tits and everything. She's totally changed her look. Oh, it's going to be so interesting to see how they're able to accuse Biden and totally zip their mouths when it comes to Trump. I mean, talk about calling the kettle black and, and round and, and, and yeah. everything. Oh, man. Gosh, it's going to be so interesting because they, they basically I, I made a joke the other day and I, I was about to put it on my, like my first comment ever on Twitter saying, hey, what if Biden was actually um, paying Reed to put out these allegations so he could get Trump voters to tr- to vote for him? <laughs> I, I still think that's that's that's, that's got a lot of weight to it because there will be Trump voters say, ah, I like that Biden, man. He's been accused of this. That's true. Actually, Joel, you know what? I 
I follow you on multiple accounts, and you've never posted anything on Twitter. No, I I like a, f- a few things that I just think are funny and stuff, but I just I'm I'm just too worried about all these nutcases taking things out of hand. Yeah, Twitter is a dumpster fire. Oh my but, gosh! Uh, I just want and one other thing I wanted to mention was Tara Reid, the actress famous for American Pie, not the accuser. <laughs> right. I was I was. Trying to remember where I'd heard that name before, and, and I couldn't remember until you just brought it up right now. She's been bombarded with, oh man, with like, why are you saying this about Joe Biden? She's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, just, yeah, her life has been just inundated with people pissed at her. <laughs> we have to bring up the fact that Tara Reid is this local figure. She um, granted an interview to the San Luis Obispo paper because she she um, lived there and her mom lived there. So a lot of these stories are coming out of San Luis right now. It's kind of yeah, I know that um, when you know there's that audio from the Larry King call. Right. Yeah, he was calling from San Luis Obispo. Yeah, that's yeah, just a little. It's 30 minutes north of us. Hey, real quick, because we have to kick Trump every t- chance we can. Just tell me what you <laughs> what you felt about the whole injecting the bleach uh, business. <laughs> Supposing we hit the body with a tremendous, uh, whether it's ultraviolet or just very powerful light, right? And then I see the disinfectant where it knocks it out in a minute, one minute. And is there a way we can do something like that uh, by injection inside or or almost a cleaning? Because you see it gets on the lungs and it does a tremendous number of the lungs. So it'd be interesting to check that so that you're going to have to use medical doctors with. But it sounds, it sounds interesting to me. Was that... I mean, wow. did that heighten the uh, craziness to all times, or was that just yeah? That was incredible. I had some people try on my Facebook try to defend that. They were saying, "Well, he didn't mean like bleach. Well, he said disinfectant." And then one one person commented, really quite upset at me, and said, "Well, obviously he was talking about doing a vitamin C bomb, and vitamin C once it's in the body." creates hydrogen peroxide which would disinfect the body oh see not what trump said at all no that's incredible you can when you can absolutely just bring his exact words up and you're going to go against those exact words that's that's a big 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 problem of denialism yeah and so well he obviously meant but he obviously didn't because he didn't say it (laughs) No, I think that he actually is so stupid that he actually thought that it's possible to inject a bleach into your bloodstream to get rid of coronavirus. Totally. And he has such low regard for facts. He has such disrespect yeah. for journalists, for the American people, that later on his defense was, I was being sarcastic. Okay? Right, right. <laughs> no, I was asking a question sarcastically to reporters like you just to see what would happen. That's funny. I found this cool quote, speaking of Twitter, on that exact instance, and it goes like this. It's by Darwin, by the way. Ignorance more frequently begets confidence than does knowledge. It is those who know little and not those who know much who so positively assert that this or that problem will never be solved by science. I feel like that encapsulates Trump so perfectly. Yeah, it really does. It it was... So embarrassing. And honestly, I, you know, I don't want to become, you know, a Trump supporter basher. Yeah, I know. It's hard. At what point do you just go, okay, that's just done? Yeah, you know? It's so hard to be, yeah. I don't want to be mean or anything. I don't want to be uncharitable. Yep. But at a certain point, you have to just wake up and be reasonable. 
Yeah, I mean, if that doesn't uh, cause them all just to leave screaming, uh, we've got no chance. All right, so in this segment of our show, Joel and I are joined by my cousin, Henry Houston, who is a writer for the Eugene Weekly. Uh, Henry, maybe just take a minute and tell us a little bit more about yourself. Um, so my name is Henry Houston, and I'm a staff writer at the Eugene Weekly. Um, it's an alt-weekly in uh, Eugene, Oregon. Eugene is a uh, college town, but also a liberal bubble in an otherwise pretty conservative state. Um, I think people forget that, you know, besides Portland and Eugene, it's pretty right wing here at times. Um, and uh, so I moved up to Eugene in 2014 to go to grad school at the University of Oregon uh, to study international uh, studies. Ended up sticking around after I graduated. Uh, my research was on dams and development in Pakistan, which took me to stay in Pakistan for a couple months. And uh, Santa Maria is where I'm from for the most part. And yeah, I guess that's my life. And also your dad was a guest on our show at one point. We talked about right. driving. Ernest, my uncle, Ernie Houston. It was a great, that was a great episode too. But that we want to have Jesse. Yeah, that's when Jesse co-hosted. But we got to have him back on uh, with Joel so we can talk about uh, being a geologist and all that stuff. Because mm-hmm. uh, I know Joel, your son, studies uh, or studied geology, right? He wants to be a geologist. Yeah, he uh, graduated at the very worst possible time <laughs> as a geologist. And he's... Yeah, he's happy. But that, yeah, I would love to get to know your, your uncle. That'd be cool. But we have Henry here coming to us via Skype in uh, Eugene. Uh, I want to kind of start by just saying that I am totally proud of you and just blows my mind that my little cousin is this like awesome writer for Eugene Weekly. Um, I remember, Henry, when you were a little kid, not to give too much information, I guess, in your background, but you would uh, kind of dress up like a little cowboy and yeah. See Garth Brooks. Yeah, you, and actually, you got to meet him. Yeah, I uh, met him for a few moments, and uh, that was an interesting experience meeting him. Um, uh, when they have these big acts come into Eugene, that's not Grateful Dead related, which is rare. They, uh, I don't know. Sometimes, sometimes they have like little press conferences, but they really went all out for Garth Brooks. It was almost like he was a head of state of something, but I guess he's the head of state of country music. Um, yeah. But uh, he. Uh, he had his press conference at Autzen Stadium, which is where he was going to perform the next day. And Autzen Stadium is where the Oregon Ducks play football. So he came in to the press room, and I wouldn't have recognized him if there weren't like three police officers with him, um, because he wasn't dressed like how I was used to seeing him dressed, you know, looking like a cowboy. Instead, he had a cap on. I guess what the youth would say, he had a lid on, like a button-up shirt, I believe some like loose jeans and some like lugs looking Nikes lugs for those who don't know were very popular. I don't know if they're still popular, but they're like work boot looking shoes. Yeah. I wouldn't have recognized them if he wasn't, didn't have this entourage of police. And so the event was pretty interesting because it was a lot like a press conference. And so radio stations were asking him questions. So I, I think I asked them, I asked them about Lil Nas X. I don't know if you guys know who that is. He was really he big that, last year. He did that and, Old Town Road song? Yeah. 
around that time of his show, of Garth Brooks' show, Lil Nas X had just collaborated with Billy Ray Cyrus, and they did a huge thing at like the Country Music Awards or something. So Lil Nas X at that point was already entered country music mainstream, and so I asked Garth Brooks what he thought about it, and I was really disappointed when he said that uh, he didn't know who Lil Nas X was. What? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I guess he doesn't keep up with it. But no, so after the after the event, I I talked with him, uh, Garth Brooks, and that was pretty interesting, you know, growing up, you know, having this, for some, I don't know how it happened, but I was really into Garth Brooks when I was like four or five, and then 25 years later, actually meeting the guy, it was pretty interesting. And then uh, the Garth Brooks team hooked me and my girlfriend Rebecca up with uh, floor seat tickets were like five rows from the stage, and it was a wild show. Spent a lot of money so, on beer. Yeah, you can at concerts nowadays, that's for certain. Did you, is that like the most famous person you've ever interviewed? Or have you interviewed other like politicians or, or actors, musicians? That may be the most famous person I've ever interviewed. Well, I did interview Governor Jay Inslee uh, when he was running for president that short, brief time of his presidential bid, uh, who was running on climate change. And he's the Washington state governor. I think that may be, though, the most famous person, Garth Brooks being the most famous person I've ever talked with. What about uh, Bill Shatner? Oh, that's right. <laughs> William Shatner. I forgot. All, Garth Brooks made me forget about William Shatner. <laughs> um, How yeah, that, could you forget? <laughs> that was another interesting conversation. Um, I think he must know that people, when they get on the phone with him, that they're going to be a little bit starstruck. Uh, because he started the interview right away. Yeah, he didn't. It seems like he just loves to hear himself talk. So it might be actually be a little bit of both. That was an interesting ten minutes of my life um, talking with William Shatner because he was doing his Wrath of Khan tour or nice. Money Grab, depending how you look at it. <laughs> and I mean, that guy's old too. I think he's like eighty nine, eighty seven. Wow. Wow. Yeah, and but he still has his wits to him. Oh, I thought you said wig. See that that too. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> Seems like he's had a few surgeries on his face too. <laughs> yeah, but has he? It's gosh, if he hasn't, I'd be so stunned. <laughs> I just figured it was that Canadian blood pool or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so in the first line of your article, Shatner: The Final Frontier, it, I have to say it says. I grew up thinking the Star Wars saga was far superior to Star Trek. The realization of how wrong I was marked the moment I matured. Okay, so are you telling me that you have abandoned Star Wars, or you're just more in favor of Star Trek? I don't know. Star Wars is, you know, it's there's a sense of betrayal. I remember watching Attack of the Clones in theaters, <laughs> and I mean, I was only 12 or something, right, when that happened, when that movie came out. Were you when working at Regal? Were you working at uh, whatever that's called now? Oh no, I wasn't. No, Edwards. I'd been fired by then, I think. <laughs> yeah, it was just a part of that very young child of me just knew. Maybe it was like the infancy of my bullshit detector, I guess, because I, I just <laughs> felt like betrayed from Attack of the Clones. I don't like sand. It's coarse, and rough, and irritating. And it gets everywhere. But I think I, I, I discovered Star Trek, I think, later in my teens. But I do think Star Trek series as a whole has been, it's just far superior than the Star Wars canon. Why, you stuck-up, half-witted, scruffy-looking nerf herder!
Because even when you look at it, like the really best Star Wars stuff isn't even the movies. I think it's the Clone Wars animated series. Yeah, and the Mandalorian. Yeah, and the Mandalorian. Maybe episode one. I think episode one got a lot of bad. I was, I was going to disagree, but now you said that, so I don't. I don't have to anymore. <laughs> Jose and I have already had a big debate over it's whether it's one or two. Jose, you think it's two, right? Or you think the best is two? Uh, what, what do you mean, the best episode or the I worst? Should say, uh, I should say five. I think number four is the best. Oh, Empire Strikes Back to me is the best Star Wars yeah, film. I thought okay. Episode five, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think so, too. But, I mean, the Disney trilogy is just garbage. Yeah, uh, it just off the rails. And it doesn't hold Roger up. Binks is, is a her- heresy. <laughs> what I appreciate about the Disney trilogy, it's made me appreciate the prequel trilogy a lot more. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. All the nostalgia makes you want to go back and watch the original. Yeah. And then uh, there's another one of your pieces that I absolutely love. It's this one about, it's titled, nerd bashing time and it's about uh colby chaos covington yeah can you tell me a little bit more about him so he's from uh he really grew up around springfield uh in oregon and uh, springfield is basically to eugene what orchid is like to santa maria although i should say it's more like santa maria is to orchid because eugene is the more um more developed more attention has i don't know it's i don't want to sound like racist or anything but um (laughs) You know how there's a different kind of, I don't know, Orca is just a different vibe than Santa Maria is. Um, I think It's racially a, segregated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, Eugene and Springfield have a similar relationship, except, well, it's a lot like Simpsons. Springfield is just this very backwards, even though it's not really now, but in the real Springfield in Oregon isn't backwards or anything, but Springfield in Simpsons is just like this cesspool of corruption and just garbage city and then shelbyville is what eugene is i think oh man i hate those shelbyville jerks honey i was born in shelbyville and it tears me up inside but so colby covington grew up around deep in the springfield he uh really excelled at wrestling amateur wrestling at mat clubs which is like little league wrestling clubs and then grew up through the high school system, and then went to Oregon State University, was a big champion there. And then he transitioned into mixed martial arts in the Ultimate Fighting Championship. So he's a, he's a character because it seems like he caught on real quick that in UFC, you don't get top bill or you don't get attention on the bill unless you can draw attraction, you can sell seats, you can get people to buy the program when the UFC goes on PPV, pay-per-view. Um, and so he really channeled a lot of professional wrestling in his UFC styles. And so what he has done is that he's channeled Trumpism into his presentation. Yeah. And so he had enlisted, actually, a former professional wrestler uh, named Stevie Richards. And Stevie Richards, I don't know if you remember, Jose, but the Blue World Order... And then he was he was actually actually also known in the, the right to censor faction in WWF then WWF that would go around and censor people's gimmicks. So like the Godfather became the Good Father. Um, yes, I remember that. Yeah. And um, so Colby Covington enli- enlisted you know uh, Stevie Richards to help him with his mic promos. And so Colby Covington really became more of a shock fighter. 
at the time when I wrote this story in 2018, I think it was, it seemed a little more blurred of like, no, this can't be real. This guy is kind of like ridiculous. Like there's no way that he's really this big of a fan of Trump. He wins this championship belt, which is an interim, which is basically guaranteed number one contender for the real championship belt. But they can't call it the real championship belt because that current champion is out injured or something. So it's a total marketing move by UFC. But he brings the championship belt to Donald Trump in the White House. <laughs> and um, Did he really do that? Yeah, no, that was real. <laughs> and so that's when, that, that was all happening while I was finishing up the story. So I was about, I'd sent it to the editor already, I think. Then this happened at the White House visit. And so, so I was just like, all right, it looks like I'm writing the end part of this, rewriting the end of this story because I have to include this trip to the White House and and then we had a discussion of like, well, should we put on the cover of a liberal alt-weekly alt a cover having the fighter posing with the president of the United States? And I was all for it, and so was the art director, but there was the concern of the who owned the rights to the photo. Because mm-hmm. uh, that can get you sued real quick if UFC took the photo, even though Colby Covington told me that he took the photo, um, then you can get into some real big legal troubles. So he just hit it inside the issue. But he's since then he's very much leaned into the Trumpism. He's uh, he's had uh, Don Jr. Eric Trump hang out with him. Thanks for having us, Colin. Eric, what do you say? Please make yourself at home. In front of the cage, he's gotten the Trump some cage side tickets. I guess you could say. So I think he's really. I think the Trumpism is for real. But um, I just thought it was a fascinating story of just like. This is someone who's capitalized on the fact that liberals hate Trump, and so liberals want to see this f- get beat up. We can cuss on here, right? Go ahead and cuss, yeah. It's more uh, authentic. And so, you know, liberals want to see this guy get his ass kicked, but then at the, on the on the same time, at the same time, conservatives see their guy standing up for his principles against these liberal snowflakes, and they want to see their guy win the day. Um, well, I see. I see here that Covington addresses all the "quote unquote" haters as nerds, mm-hmm. and he had that hashtag #nerdbash2018. He called all the haters nerds and virgins, people <laughs> in their mom's basement trying to play matchmaker on the internet. You're all little Cheetos eating dorks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that's 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 how you got to address the haters, I guess. <laughs> We have a bunch of babies running our country, folks. We have a bunch of losers. They're losers. They're babies. It sounds like I, he's channeling like The Rock or like, I don't know, the villain. Like, you know, yeah. like WWE or WWF back in the day. Yeah. And I, I addressed that in the story of like, you know, he's bringing, he's using this long used method in professional wrestling of being the heel, creating heat. I think I alluded to Rowdy Roddy Piper because that's the kind of stuff you'd definitely see Rowdy Roddy Piper doing. But at the same time, Colby Covington is being booed for doing things that you would see Hulk Hogan doing of like having this unbridled patriotism, you know, basically flag waving. Of course, he's not as big as he was at that time because he got his ass kicked by some, I don't know who it was, but it was it was almost like billed as like the black guy who represents the minorities who are getting screwed over by Trumpism. Versus the guy who represents Trump, and uh, it was actually a pretty close fight, and I think a lot of it, you know, a lot there was a lot of errors in the officiating. But what I find remarkable, despite the Trumpism of Covington, is that 
at his most recent fight, uh, he kept fighting with a broken jaw. Wow. So I find that amazing. That's incredible. <laughs> it seems like MMA is just like, I don't know if you guys agree with this, but it's probably mainly Trump guys, and it just seems to lend itself to, to that. I don't know if you, if you guys are catching that vibe, but it just seems to go hand in hand with with violence and beat the hell out of somebody i gotta say i'm I, I love it and i watch it as much as i can but man yeah i mean i think that like dana white who's like the guy in charge of ufc he's like been definitely the trump figure and i think he was considering having the most like an upcoming fight like despite coronavirus like they would oh. have an empty arena much like vince mcmahon still had wrestlemania without an audience this year yeah i read that so it's interesting to me that you write for Eugene Weekly, which is in a liberal bubble of Oregon. Mm -hmm. And you published this piece, which I thought was hilarious and just amazing. But you got some flack for the piece. <laughs> you had some haters in yeah. the letters. Yeah, the, the Nerds and Virgins really came, really came out after me. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I will say, though, first, I think that there was... There was one guy who actually came out to, and emailed me and appreciated the work I had done. He was, uh, he's kind of like the, the lone conservative guy who writes letters to the editor calling out liberal hypocrisy and stuff like that. And he's, for the most, the most of the part, he's right when he calls out liberals. He's one of those conservative guys who's like a great foil for a liberal, you know, because he will call you out and with actual sound reasons why. And he actually emailed me and like he congratulated me and said that I really appreciate that you got the Eugene Weekly to print a positive picture of Trump in the in the paper. Uh, <laughs> but that was the only applause I received. The rest of them really came out and like some accused me of having a crush on Covington. I think another person had come out and said that they were going to stop reading the Eugene Weekly because of me. So it was an amazing response, the kind of response that I think a lot of writers kind of deep down inside really appreciate seeing. Uh, you know, people grilling because they've read it. But at the end of the day, you know, they they read the story. Do you or any of your colleagues like feel some of the heat that is maybe being promulgated by, by Trump and, and his anti-media um, assaults? Just in, in maybe obviously in the letters, but but just out in the public? You are a rude, terrible person. You are the enemy of the people. Not in person. I I've never received anything in person of like, you know, calling me like fake news, but I think social media is where most of that happens. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think there's a lot of like a lot of memes that get shared. I think I shared something on Facebook on our Facebook account, something about the governor, governor Kate Brown's um, plans on uh, reopening the state. Uh, oh no, she extended her declaration of emergency. And so I did a little piece about like what that means and so basically that means that that's the legal underpinning of all of her executive orders, like the rent moratorium, eviction moratorium, I should say. Um, that'd be sick if we had a rent moratorium. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just, just things like that. Also social distancing measures. Those executive orders are uh, supported by her declaration of emergency. And then some people were just came out, started. Um, is there a name for coronavirus deniers yet? Uh, gosh, like birther or something like that. Yeah. I, I just what it is for yeah i've heard someone call him a, a covid covid idiot oh yeah yeah that that's for people who are uh who are disbelievers and idiots for it that's i actually uh know a lot about that because i read the 
Kauai paper every day, and it comes from the mayor of Kauai. <laughs> I, I'm stunned. Earlier, you mentioned that that Oregon is generally a, a, I think you said a deep red state, and I think that generally people across the United States think of Oregon as fairly progressive, if not fully progressive. Yeah, I think that maybe I over exaggerated a little bit. It is conservative in many areas. I, I guess I, I should compare it to like the electoral college. You know, most of the counties in Oregon are conservative, but there's just there's more people in the west of the um, Cascades. In that sense, it's like the perfect model for what's going on in the United States because it sounds mm-hmm. like the the right right wing guys have got fairly decent pull there. But we in the national news only see that uh, your national politicians are generally Democrats. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it is a, the legislature in Oregon is a supermajority Democratic, but we still had that issue earlier this year when Republican uh, legislators walked out, walked oh, off yeah. the job to Idaho to uh, derail the climate action legislation. And so that screwed over, I think, as a result, the special legislation session only passed three bills, despite having a month of legislative session. So Oregon is a weird state, I would say that. it's There's a lot of conservative people, and I think there's already a county sheriff in Oregon way deep into East Oregon where he said that he's he is making his sheriff's office go back to work right now, and he's not going to he's not going to cite any businesses that also go back to work. Interesting. I think that people uh, on the East Coast have no idea the funky mix we have on the West Coast. I mean, you see it in California, too. There's all these yeah. marchers in Sacramento and stuff like that. And also, like I'm reading your article, How Green Is is Our Valley, about the burgeoning uh, marijuana business, I guess, in your area. Oh, yeah. And that's, that's you know, the libertarianism is so, so strong here in the West. Yeah. City leaders will say that it's this progressive city. So will some people who live here. But at the end of the day, I think it's much more of a libertarian kind of a city. It's a weird, yeah. It's it's a weird. It's this weird mix of politics where like there is some virtue signaling, but at the end of the day, they also will prioritize tax breaks for development over increased tax revenues to improve social services. Yeah. Um, is there that saying "Keep Oregon weird"? Is that what that? Is or am I thinking of the wrong place? Uh, there's one that's keep Portland weird. Like I think that keep, was the start of it. But I think people in Austin Portland. say they started it. Oh, okay. So whenever I watch Portlandia, I love that show. Fred Armisen <laughs> is brilliant. Is that accurate or is that totally way off base? I don't spend too much time in Portland, but I would say it's pretty accurate. It's I haven't watched that show in such a long time, but it's yeah. I think that how they paint it sometimes when i'm in eugene i'm just thinking god this is a weird place um we have a a mayoral candidate he's not that serious in terms of that he thinks he's serious but he's not gonna win the election um but he did like a power rangers uh, mayoral announcement (laughs) that's amazing (laughs) so there is these like very quirky aspects in eugene that I mean, I think that Eugene also tries to make this like a mini Portland. And um, I think that our quirkiness kind of follows that. Yeah. Okay. So I'm super interested in these reports that you get every once in a while about California um, transplants in Oregon uh, being kind of castigated. I don't know. 
I always take that with a huge grain of salt. Is there any truth to Californians going up to Oregon and, and not being welcome? Um, I don't know about not being welcomed, although I did switch my stuff around right away. Um, <laughs> I did get an Oregon driver's license pretty quickly. And also I switched over to an Oregon's license plate. But here in Eugene, I know that basically one out of four University of Oregon students come from California. Wow. So it is a, there's, there's a lot of them here. I know that at least one in four of your football players comes from California. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Junkie. I should say that would piss a lot of people off, but uh, yeah. Um, I love Oregon. I, I especially like, um, is it Ashford or Ashland or where is it way down in the South? Ashland. Yeah. That's where Ashland, like, the Shakespeare yeah. Festival is. What yeah. a great, what a great town that is. I got oh. to spend a couple of days there. Yeah, we stayed there last year, and it was for the Shakespeare Festival. It was it was really cool. It's a, I think that's where a lot of Californians end up, and I can kind of see why. You get a lot of the greenery, but I think that a lot of Californians struggle with that nine months of rain. Yes, yeah, so I went to go visit some friends when they were living in Oregon. Uh, they were living in a little town outside of Coos Bay, and just the name Coos Bay cracked me up. <laughs> but um, yeah, we were there. It was they were kind of in like a foresty wooded area. It rained all the time. I was starting to feel the sadness, the seasonal effectiveness disorder. Uh, and lots of white people. Yeah, uh, and uh, that scared me when I first moved here. I, <laughs> I I moved here and it's like I don't feel comfortable with all these white people. And you know, there's not a loud ass car playing, bumping some music. You know, it's exactly very uncomfortable. Yeah. I went to the store and there was one or two Mexican guys walking by me. And I was like, my people, <laughs> my people. <laughs> it's yeah. just overwhelmingly white. And I, I, I don't know. I live in Santa Maria and I'm just used to this. I, is that racist? I don't know. <laughs> I just am used to this demographic. And then going somewhere where there are just, it's all white. It was, it was a shock. No, like in, in my family's uh, couple trips across the country, that, is so true after growing up in Hawaii and Santa Maria when you go to a place that's just not mixed it hits you hard and fast and it's like wait we are living talk about a bubble we're living in a bubble in California for the most part because it's definitely not like that everywhere yeah so Henry you're a journalist and I don't know I kind of want your take on President Trump's just hostility towards the media like how does that strike you it doesn't impact me as much. I think there's a lot more problems that journalists face than Trumpism. The largest one, I think, has been the the recent uh, layoffs of newspapers. Um, fewer companies own more news outlets than ever, um, and so I'm I'll probably focus more on print because that's what I'm used to. But uh, like for example, Gannett just bought another large group of newspapers from Gatehouse Media, and so now Gannett owns this huge amount of newspapers throughout the u.s and uh, i'm starting to witness it at our local daily paper here where the content actual local content plummets and uh, the amount of like usa today copy increases and like for example the san Marino times i think is owned by lee central coast news or maybe it's just lee now lee enterprises yeah and uh, um they're not as large as gannett but um, they're still a huge corporation. And I think that 
that takes away a lot of the independence and local voice that newspapers should have in a community. For example, like, you know, who's writing the op-eds of newspapers? It might be someone from out of town. And op-eds are kind of like, you know, it's where paper, based on its well-informed opinion, creates opinions that, you know, recommend certain ideas. People are more familiar with op-eds endorsing presidential candidates or politicians, but they also, uh, you know, can take a look at local government and criticize local government policies. And I think that with with uh, larger corporations owning, you know, all these newspapers, we've lost that. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the American, the local American voice. And, um, you know, that impacts, you know, who's what, who's actually independently critiquing the Santa Maria City Council, for example. Um, and I don't think that happens, at least when I was starting journalism in Santa Maria, that wasn't really happening because the Santa Maria Sun can only do, you know, weekly. And even then, the Santa Maria Times was falling apart. That was like 2010, something like that. I think that, right, that's around when I got started with journalism at the Santa Maria Sun. And to me, that's the bigger problem than the ego clashes that happened during the president's press briefings between him and, um, you know, the more comfortable newspapers, even though I should say Washington Post is owned by Amazon. Um, so they're not exactly independent. But between the president and the New York Times or TV news, for me, that's that's not a, a big priority for me to be worried about. Although I will say that what's concerned me about Trump is that liberal or conservative, conservative local politicians have been following his path. Liberal politicians, for example, they'd rather die than be called Trump. But a lot of times I think that they have the similar sentiments. They treat press the same way. They know that they can just let their PR person handle it. With the amount of journalists that have been switching over to PR um, or being PR for uh, public governments, um, that creates this this their own little like narrative that they can forget about the local press. We'll just create our own narrative that we can put on social media. Um, yeah. So that's that's the kind of the stuff that concerns me more than Trumpism. Although I'm not a big fan of Trump, I think he's better than Pence just because you can at least laugh at Trump. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think that journalism should be more concerned about the monopolizing of the industry. And we're, speaking of social um, media, what what is going on because of everything switching over to the web? It's I'm sure you guys, um, I mean, I'm looking at your guys' um, newspaper on the web. Uh, do you see any huge effects because of everyone reading their 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 news online? For instance, to 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 make sure that you um, get things out so you get the scoop, or because some citizen out there who's on Twitter um, is going to get the scoop, or is are there any ramifications? The Eugene Weekly is still a print first paper, so you're, you you do see some newspapers where they call themselves digital first, so they'll upload the story a couple of hours, like sometimes even the day before. The story runs the next day in print. Um, but at the Eugene Weekly, we usually, unless it's a very important story, we usually run all of the issues papers. The issues stories, we only put those online after it's gone to print on Thursdays. Um, but I do, and other staff do write stuff for the website to create the breaking news or just to get the information out because it is a paywall-free um, website. So, you know, if someone doesn't have a paywall to the daily paper, you know, we try to 
put more important stories on the website, but we won't do everything because then right. it just steals your time and then you can't actually research a story or investigate a story longer. I'm, I'm interested in, in that also. What percentage of your stories are easy one day, couple day deals? Or, and do you ever get to go out and just do full on investigative um, journalism? Yeah, we're encouraged to do uh, full out investigative stuff, although it's not like we can take a whole year off right you know to research something i think those days are long gone but uh a lot of it is like i'd say i probably put myself i probably upload like maybe two web only stories and then um you know have like a week-long story where like i actually do talk with sources read research things that always happens every week yeah Um, or like actually take time in creating a profile of a candidate that usually that especially now that's more common for me that I like take time to create a profile from an interview rather yeah. than doing like a Q and A. Jose, I'm monopolizing. I'm sorry, but I'm I just I'm stoked to be able to talk to a journalist. And yeah, go for it. Yeah, I, I'm high on on weekly independence right now. I think mm-hmm. that they're just like carrying a huge load in the whole United States, and I I think that I wonder if they're. Um, if they're still getting the circulation that they always have, I bet that they have because for all of us that that want that local stuff, sometimes that's our only source now. Yeah, it's so. Last year, I went with my editor to I can't think of what the actual acronym thinks stands for right now. It's like Alternative Association of Alternative News, something like that. So I went to the conference. I saw the people from Santa Maria Sun there, and yeah, they said that because of the downfall of daily news, people are actually looking at weeklies more now. And it's this weird phenomenon that weeklies were kind of discredited as being like sensational kind of a thing. Like, you know, you didn't go to the weekly newspaper because it was like a liberal rag or something like that. Right. Um, but now now people are actually are seeing that there's more importance for it. I think coronavirus has screwed over a lot of newspapers right now. Like that was like that was the nail in the coffin for, I think, a lot of daily newspapers, um, which is the reason why Gannett did this huge furlough of its staff. But I know that uh, the because of coronavirus, I think it's impacted a lot of weeklies as well because weeklies are especially dependent on advertising from like concerts and stuff like that, right? Um, and restaurants. So I know that our you know at the Eugene Weekly, our distribution rate has still been like actually has increased from past years. So like before coronavirus, we were stronger than we'd ever been um, before Craigslist, I should say. Uh, because Craigslist is kind of like the the start of the death of newspapers because people <laughs> took, you know, now people go to Craigslist for classified ads, but before you'd have to put it in a newspaper. Yeah. Oh, I see. You'd pay, you would pay money to have a classified bit. Yeah. yeah. But now you could go to, oh, wow, that's interesting. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's wild. So I and just, Facebook was a huge bit part of killing it too. Oh Yeah. I just think of some of the big investigative stories in Santa Barbara County, and and I think a, a lot of them have come from our independent weeklies. Like I think Jose, like the like how the Santa Barbara County supervisors are kind of in bed with the marijuana business here, and and we might be like the biggest marijuana county in the whole state. People don't realize that. Oh, really? And I think that was broken by Santa Barbara Independent. I, I'm not sure oh, about that. I shouldn't. I should. But like a ton of the good investigative stuff comes from the independent weeklies here. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I know that in Oregon, um, Willamette Week is the Portland one of the more uh, established 
Portland weeklies. Um, and uh, I believe they're like one of the few newspapers in Oregon to have won a Pulitzer. Nice. Um, and I think they won a Pulitzer for like, I think it was like the story of a potato. Whoa. <laughs> Something like that. It was like the potato story from Idaho to like a French fry. But it was like along the way, there was like a lot of intrigue. Nice. In fact, we have to notify our readers that the Pulitzers just came out. So everybody go um, and check the list and then just go read every one of them because they actually they do turn out to be just awesome. I mean, every mm. single one is like, dang, they deserve it. Yeah, I think the Seattle paper, um, it's like Seattle Times or something, they won one for their Boeing 737 report. Oh, yeah, that was huge. Which I forgot all about the boat. That. That's how long this year's been. <laughs> I know. That seems like ages ago. <laughs> I just I noticed the 1619 project out of New York Times one oh, also yeah. pissed off a lot of people, but I'm stoked because I just feel like so many people misconstrued that. Yeah, I know that Ben Shapiro was all pissed about it. He was like, "Oh, yeah, just, I saw that." Yeah, yeah, Ben Shapiro is—I don't know—he's a weird guy. He's a whiny bitch. Yeah, <laughs> he he says just enough right things and kind of poignant things to keep to string a lot of people on. But man, when he gets things wrong, they're just loopy. Yeah. So I just want to, okay, along this train of thought here, I love my brother. I won't say his name. Even though I asked him, like, what's your middle name again? He's like, it's Peter. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. no. Your middle name is Pedro. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> but uh, Well, Grandma says that it's it's Pedro because it's like native or something like that. Yeah, but he's like, he wishes he was white. Yeah. Our brother wishes he was white. He would <laughs> deport himself if he found out that he was anchor baby, which, which he is. But um, anyway, so my brother, you know, he hates the news. You know, he, he loves Joe Rogan's podcast and he watches Fox News ad nauseum, but he hates the media. And so I just want you, cause, and there's a lot of people who are like him. Everything's fake news. If it disparages President Trump or doesn't affirm this ideological worldview, it's fake news. So kind of walk me through kind of uh, like what Joel was saying, mm -hmm. an investigative report or story. You're not just like sitting down at a, at a computer and just making it up, right? Like you, there's a process, right? Only for the satire issue. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess I can point to the kind of a story I'm working on right now, a story of evictions and threat of evictions that are happening despite a gov the governor's um, moratorium on uh evictions due to non-payment so for this i got the idea of it because i was watching the lane county board of commissioners which is our board of supervisors up here and uh, I, was, I was watching a meeting because that's when we'd already gone to zoom i think because of coronavirus and a couple advocates have been talking about uh that there were some uh there were some latinx families in springfield who were being pushed out of their housing because of threat of eviction and although there was the moratorium, they were still leaving because they didn't know about it and they didn't also want to put themselves on the chopping block by getting in, involved legally because of their maybe they had you know some documentation issues. So it started there. I called some of the advocates, and it was kind of also confirmed by the commission, uh, the Springfield commissioner uh, Joe Bernie during the meeting. Um, and so I took that i called the um one of the advocates you know he's going to arrange a meeting with me and a family who is experiencing this 
um, because he's also going to have to uh, interp- interpret for me. Also, I've had to call some uh, local nonprofits that are doing some, uh, you know, resource guides and also inform res- resources to tenants who are facing threats of eviction. I've also talked to some other, you know, activists involved with the rent strike. Um, so there's a lot of phone calls. Usually I like to get away from the desk because I don't like, you know, being a desk jockey for this job. There's a lot of meetings that I attend. It's a lot of continued coverage of things of like the governor's executive orders following her press conferences, as well as just having networks with activists who I know, who I can vet that they are reputable, that they are uh, consistently connected with their community. And a lot of that also is because, you know, my source who's familiar with these uh, Latinx families, you know, he's been very active in the community. I've, I've known him for years uh, because I've covered him for years. So yes, journalists do make mistakes because everyone is human and is capable of screwing up, but there is a lot of work there. And it's, it's almost the point also where like, if I were making this up, it would be for the most part, you would be like cliched. And, you know, also for the story I'm working on, you know, I did, done a few public records requests from the county sheriffs because you know county sheriffs are the ones who execute the eviction process they're the ones who may be called for uh forcible entry to get someone out of the house mm. so it's a lot of work can you talk about like because some people don't even know about fact checking <laughs> and and the fact that you can't just go out and publish stuff without double checking things is uh, is there much of a process there, or does it just happen naturally for your paper? I'm sure that it's not as what it's what it used to be. I remember hearing from someone that back in the glory days they would have like a librarian on the staff, for example, wow. uh, and they would actually. I mean, these were also pre-internet days. Yeah, uh, but they would have these people in office to double check these things, and like the New York Times has editorial assistants who can actually check these things out to make sure everything is correct at a smaller newspaper like eugene weekly where there's like five or six people on the editorial staff you know we don't have that that many resources although we do have a copy editor which is cool because that means that i can avoid some dumb grammatical mistakes like misspelling a headline or something Um, (laughs) a lot of it also though comes down to institutional knowledge inside the paper and so the eugene weekly there's uh the arts editor who's he used to work at the local daily a long time, not a long time ago, maybe like a few years ago, but he had, well, he was there for like 20 years or something like that. And then, uh, you know, the editor has been at the, at the Eugene weekly for like 10 years. Um, and so she knows a lot of the activists in the area. She knows which ones are legit, which ones are not. So there is, you know, that's a part of the fact checking is that like, you know, someone with the, a lot of familiarity with the community knows if something is bullshit or not. Yeah. And I think that with a lot of corporate papers, they don't have that because, uh, you know, some papers work, you know, send their copy to like Texas and then Texas has no connection to Oregon. So they just say, oh, that sounds about right. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. And then what happens? This is the other thing, too. I think in in real uh, journalism, if you make mistakes, glaring mistakes, there can sometimes be consequences. It's not just like. Oops, that's just, you know, what we do here. We just make stuff up. Like yes. Brian Williams, basically, it was so bad that he lost his anchorship and they moved him to another network. 
Yeah, the the Farm League, NBC. Yeah, that's right. So, what consequences? I mean, have there been? Have you seen it in uh, Eugene, or what would happen if you just made stuff up and were totally wrong? A lot of it is just you'd lose the community trust. I think. Um, I think that's the biggest thing that you could lose. And also, you know, if it got really bad, if you were really a hack at it and making stuff up, people just wouldn't also talk to you. You know, there are some people who don't talk to the Eugene Weekly because they think it's biased or, you know, it's not, they're not, they don't think it's a fair paper. And I'm sure there's people who also don't talk to the, well, I know there's people who don't talk to the Register Guard, which is the daily paper here, because they think it's a corporate newspaper. I mean, that's how it goes. And Does so, your local paper um, have a slant or do you feel like it's fairly... Um... Like Santa Barbara News Press has got a uh, an owner who's a nutcase. Um, is your local paper um, fairly fair and, and unbiased, or do you feel like it it is got a slant to it? Uh, that our local daily paper. Yeah, it used to have more of a slant. It was I, it was more conservative at times, and I still think it is. I think that at times it can be more conservative because its readerships are older people. And yeah, so like, and I'm always wondering, like, man, you can't lose readerships if, you, and that's what makes ind- uh, weekly independence more free, because mm-hmm. you guys are free. These guys lose subscribers, and they have to make sure what they print is gonna not piss off a bunch of people, and that in itself would probably bias them. And that I don't mm-hmm. know, that just bugs me. Yeah, they're they're definitely it is a little more conservative, although their endorsements this year has been more liberal. I think, but I mean, it is Oregon. Our county is pretty liberal, so most of the races right now are trying to be who's the most progressive person at times. Um, And so no matter what, they're going to be more liberal in their endorsements. But I think the the person who's been there the longest, like, started two years ago. And this is a place that used to be, like, used to be a destination daily paper. Like, it was actually pretty high paying for journalism. It was, like, 20 bucks an hour plus benefits. So yeah, it's it's lost its its uh, knowledge of the area. So like you guys are independent as a weekly, mm-hmm. you don't necessarily have subscribers, right? How are you able to pay your bills? How do you print? How are you able to stay in business? Like who pays basically? <laughs> Where does the so, money come from? It's all advertisement, which is why it's so hard right now. But uh, right now, there has been a lot of advertisers have stuck around with us despite the current economic crisis. But yeah, like when when there's a huge economic crisis and which results in ad sales for us going down, that's when there's trouble for payroll and stuff like that. So yeah, like restaurants that take out ads in the paper are the ones who pay my salary. It is owned by like a 91-year-old woman, though, the paper. She's not too involved, although once in a while she'll uh, she'll want us to endorse. I think she'll try to throw her weight in towards towards us endorsing certain people. But like, I was real big on Bernie Sanders, um, but I think she she doesn't like she didn't like Bernie Sanders. So luckily we didn't really get into it because Bernie Sanders <laughs> dropped out before the Oregon primary. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's it's from but bes- despite that, it's pretty independent. There's no it's not owned by a company or corporation. I know that like a lot of weeklies are owned by another weekly, like the Santa Maria Sun and then Santa Luis New Times are owned by the same uh, right. organization. Yep. Although they're still pretty much the same like paper. It's yeah, they yeah. run the same stories oftentimes. Are yeah, at least fifty to seventy five percent of the stories are the same in both. Oh, are they? 
A lot of them are the same, yeah. Yeah, I know that sometimes they share the cover, but I'm surprised. I guess that's how they probably have so many pages, though. Yeah. yeah. So I'm also super interested in sensationalism, and, and it seems like that how that's driving. Do you ever get, I don't know, feel the pull of sensationalism? And, and just because it sells so mm-hmm. well, and, and um, I don't know. I, I can't imagine there being something that would just floor people that you could cover that you wouldn't normally, but you'd have to do it because it, it would be so sensational. you get a ton of coverage, or you get a ton of, not subscribers, but how do you but, guys even measure your success? So we don't actually even pay attention to clicks that much. I usually do because it it, uh, it soothes my ego. Right. <laughs> Uh, but I because I do kind of like look at clicks. I do look at our social media engagement. I mean, that's also part of my job uh, as a whole of the paper. Um, I'm also our web editor. But, uh, you know, I do actually love good sensationalism once in a while. I do like to make a, well, obviously with the Colby Covington story, a lot of that was generated out of, uh, because I had a previous couple weeks before that story ran, I had done a story on pickleball. and. Oh. Uh, about how all these old people had been like rescuing decrepit tennis courts to play pickleball. <laughs> and like pickleball was just like this fun way to get them help, keep them healthy. And like, there was just such a huge community about it. And there was a lot of people who got pissed off at me over the story. And, and so like a lot of people were like, Oh, you're creating, you're creating a lot of uh, drama against tennis players and pickleball players. And then someone else was like, Oh, we have children in the cages at the border, but you run this story on pickleball. Um, but it was also ran around 4th of July, but it was like a holiday weekend. And so I wrote this, the Colby Covington story as a way of like to own libs, as you could say. <laughs> and um, so part of that was also, you know, that Colby Covington story was born out of sensational, my, my want for sensationalism, uh, because I do like to write ridiculous headlines. Uh, <laughs> I do think that like the New York Post is some of my favorite headlines. And I, that's kind of what inspires me. Uh, yeah. For writing headlines, nice. So I do, I, I do like good sen- sensationalism. Although I will say that it's sensationalism to get people to read the story, not not like yellow journalism to right. to rile people up in a certain way. Although yeah. I do also think that advocate advocate journalism is also important yeah. uh, for advocate ge- journalism. You know, rather than just presenting this problem, you can present a problem that also you know. But also like having this agenda of like, well, you know, this idea could probably work. So you said that you were inspired by the New York Post in terms of headlines. Um, is there like a writer or author who oh, maybe yeah. inspires your style of writing? Because you have a great style of writing. It's very engaging. I don't think I do. I, I actually don't read the news that much my off time. I uh, like during the weekend, I try not to read the news. You know, I do when I do have more like serious news reports, I think that you know, The Economist has been a, you know, one of the more constant newspapers I've read over my life. I'm often on with subscriptions with them, though, because it's such an expensive subscription, and I rarely read most of it to really justify the continued subscription. Uh, yeah. But I will say The Economist is a big part of my my upbringing of uh, writing. Other than that publication, I can't really think of, like... What about fiction writers? You know, Steinbeck was you know, the, probably my, my biggest literary inspiration, um, you know, being born in Salinas too. I and also that, a newspaper guy, I think. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I actually started journalism because I thought I'd want to pursue creative writing and, uh, I haven't written since community college. Um, yeah, I, I started journalism because I was like, Ernest Hemingway, also another one of my literary 
I guess you could say inspiration. You know, he also started off in journalism and as did John Steinbeck. And so I thought, well, you know, journalism is this, you know, the bridge to literary careers. And so I guess that's what led me down to journalism. And uh, I mean, who knows, maybe I'll still write something, but, you know, a lot of journalists are also failed writers. So just don't go the way of Hemingway. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Well, another one of my favorite authors and actually quasi journalist, I guess, is Hunter S. Thompson. Yeah, I know. That's I, like my hero. Yeah. Yeah, I I've I try to stay away from that style because it's it's so cliched among young journalists now. Everyone wants to be the Hunter S. Thompson, but yeah. um it's hard to do though. I mean, because I think that if you're not authentically someone like Hunter S. Thompson, it just comes off of like cheap carbon copy. Yeah. Yeah. And I've only had one colleague who's written close to like him and it's um he left the uh the weekly recently but he uh he had a lot of that like hunter s thompson like gonzo journalism feel to him and um i think he's the only journalist i've ever met who, could, who i could say like yeah you know you're, you're close to hunter s thompson the other person i really love and i think also admired hunter s thompson um as a writer was uh, anthony bourdain oh, oh yeah very similar uh kitchen confidential uh, and I read half of that, and because um, the library called it back while I was reading it, but Nazis. I, I know. <laughs> um, I remember there was like this scene where he remembers eating a an oyster. Is that what they what it was? I don't know. The way he described it, it was like, "That's why I don't like oysters. <laughs> it's delicious." All right. So as we wrap up, because I think we've we've kept you over an hour now. Oh yeah, you have. Time flies. I already had some Coronas for the occasion. <laughs> yeah. Cinco de Mayo. I was, <laughs> I was noticing you were drinking some kind of American beer there, Jose. I got my Lagunitas IPA. At uh, least it's got a Spanish name. That's, that's all right. Lagunita. Speaking of Coronas, um, just kind of you said that you've been working on kind of uh, coronavirus-related articles uh, since this whole thing began. Kind of what are you working on currently? Um, it's just nothing but like just keeping up with what's going on. So nothing really in depth. Um, it's just trying to stay above water with the rest of the papers and you know staying on top of the governor's press conferences. I mean, it sounds like you know I'm not the biggest fan of the governor here, but it seems like she actually has been pretty good in this time. Uh, you know, she didn't halt construction, which Washington State did, and apparently that really hurt their economy even more and uh, you know we've been doing curbside delivery of things like of bookstores gym equipment just like normal everyday business stuff that's not grocery store related we've been doing curbside delivery of that ever since th- this whole thing started but it sounds like california is just going to start allowing that this week so i mean I, I think that she was really smart to let medical expertise really drive the car of this whole ordeal so yeah basically i've just been following what she's been uh doing apparently we're going to do this the state of oregon is going to be doing this what sounds like it's going to be kind of cool and i kind of hope i get enlisted for it because it's uh they're going to recruit a hundred thousand oregonians and they're going to give them you know if you consent to be a part of the program they're going to give you like a smart thermometer and they're going to like you're basically going to track how the coronavirus you know if you do get the coronavirus they're going to because they're trying to track the pattern of where how it how it you know goes in the state so they can kind of understand it more 
Um, and to my knowledge, it seems like they're the only ones in the country that's been doing it. The state's health agency doctor wouldn't say for sure whether Oregon's the only state, but it sounds like, to my knowledge, Oregon's one of the only that's doing this huge study to really get really to really understand how the coronavirus is impacting the state. And so I kind of hope so I can be in the program just because I kind of want that smart thermometer. Um, so cool. I'm all about the freebies. <laughs> <laughs> how have the uh the trump supporters or the right wingers like the proud boys i don't know how are they responding to all this are they screaming about how this is unconstitutional yeah they've been um they did a huge rally last saturday at the capitol and um they didn't have guns i thought they had guns earlier this week but apparently they didn't i'm sure there was some jackass with a gun but uh, there wasn't a huge gun presence there because in Oregon you can carry around a huge amount of guns. And uh, um, yeah, apparently, like you know, they're there saying that we need to end this social distancing thing, that it's against the First Amendment, that we need to flush down Kate Brown, which is actually I do really like that slogan. <laughs> <laughs> if it's brown, if it's brown, flush it down. <laughs> um, so yeah, there have been a lot of. Um, a lot of criticism from the right wing of the state. Uh, but the Proud Boys, and the Proud Boys are kind of like the militia of a lot of, you know, Trumpers. They're, they say that they're usually at these events to protect the First Amendment from Antifa. And uh, so they weren't, to my knowledge, they weren't at the Salem Capitol uh, rally on Saturday. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. The best images I've seen so far, those nurses that are like the Tiananmen Square uh, guy who just stands in front of the tank, that, that's that's going to yeah. be an image that is just like seared in everybody's memory. And it's the perfect metaphor for what's going on. Yeah, it's just, I just find it amazing that, you know, that these people are acting this way, you know, that without masks and the fact that they can get in the face of a police officer but not get their ass kicked. I mean, yeah, granted, it's like, white privilege, but it's it's still it is. easy. Can you imagine a bunch of African Americans doing that? Yeah, how fast they would just be sl- just smashed. Totally yeah. boggles my mind. I think there was like a whole gang of these white NRA gun-toting fools who went into was it the uh, Capitol in Wisconsin or was it Michigan? Oh, yeah, I think Michigan. It was just, I think. Yeah, yeah. And it nope, nothing happened to them. They have they all. They were all armed to the teeth, and they were storming the capital, and perfectly fine. What, what do people like in Europe who see that thing? They must just think we're just a bunch of animals. Gosh, it was such a yeah. crazy scene. Well, I have, I have a friend who lives in New Zealand, and she was just like, you guys are crazy. Like, yeah. none of this has happened in New Zealand. Like, they basically think- shut the country down. They all social distanced. And I think their numbers have been like super low. It was, was just scary yesterday. I think. Is the like the top notch country of, of every single country, right? Yeah. yeah. I think mm-hmm. they've cured, I don't want to say cured it, but they've kicked it. Yeah. Kicked yeah. its ass. Yeah. Ugh. This has been fun. I, I, I'm going to sound really maudlin right now, and I don't care. Uh, and uh, journalists are heroes, nobody ever gives them credit anymore. And they don't make a whole lot of money either. Yeah. So that's another thing that, that nobody ever talks about. But Henry, I mean, just like, you got to get some credit. Um, and thank you. <laughs> I know that that you probably are too modest to, to think that you're a hero. But I, I journalists are heroes. I'm sorry. Oh, totally. I, I tell myself that at the office. 
<laughs> Just look in the mirror. You're yeah. a hero, Henry. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And doggone it, people like me. <laughs> and on my way on my way to work, I usually drive by a hospital, and it says "Heroes work here because of the whole coronavirus." And I sometimes think about stealing that sign and putting it outside my office. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining yeah. us. Thanks for having me. We got to be on. We got to get Jesse on to talk about wrestling, though. Yeah, I got to do another episode here. Talk about the good old days, Hulk Hogan, Sergeant Slaughter. Yeah, Macho Man. Joel, did you ever grow up watching wrestling or no? I never. I watched real sports. (laughs) (laughs) That totally pisses you guys off, or what? (laughs) Man, I. It's so real. It's real to me. Damn it. (laughs) Cute. I know I'm sexy. I got the looks. That drives the girls wild. I've got the moves that really moves them. I send chills up and down their spine. All right, so as we wrap up, Joel and I like to share one thing that we are watching or reading or listening to this week. What do you have for us, Joel? Okay, I got three things. I'm going to make it real quick. The New Yorker episode that just come out, came out today has a great article by Evan Osno speaking. Uh, we were talking about Trump earlier, called How Greenwich Republicans Learn to Love Trump. And um, I think we have this misperception about how the underclass um, was more central to his being elected than the rich people. But this is the perfect article to to explain how rich people basically convinced themselves to support somebody who they never would have normally. And so the, then the second thing that I want people to watch, if you're a sports person, is The Last Dance on ESPN. A lot of people have been watching it anyway, but it really is worth all this uh, hype. It's all about Michael Jordan. I don't have to be a great basketball player. I don't have to be a great basketball player. I don't have to dribble the ball fast or throw the ball into the basket. I don't have to dribble the ball fast or throw the ball in the basket because all I have to do is be the best Michael I can be. All I have to do is be the best Michael I can be. And they've, um, by the way, they've totally... um they totally dedicated the whole show to Kobe Bryant, who was a huge, huge Jordan fan. If everybody knows that about Kobe. And then the last thing, Free Nationals, that's um, – so Anderson Pack is kind of a hip-hop star out of Oxnard. So he, that's close to Santa Maria. And his music is so like – Santa Maria, Latinx type. It's just super smooth and got groovy punk. But anyway, so Anderson Pack rules. His backup band is awesome, and they're called the Free Nationals. And they just came out with a super, super cool, slow, groovy soul um, album. So that's Free Nationals, Anderson Pack's band. Wow, I'll have to check that out. Oxnard, yes. huh? Yeah, Anderson Pack is super cool. If I had to listen to any kind of quasi hip hop guy, that's the guy. That's like the most unfortunate name for a town, though. (laughs) I know. know. He made an album called that, and uh, I think probably a lot of people didn't even listen to it because of that. (laughs) Um, That's funny. Um, Got it, Jose. I've been watching so much. It's ridiculous. But uh, one thing that's on YouTube I've been watching is called, I believe, Hiking with Kevin Nealon. Oh, yeah. He used to be on SNL. He was... uh, for a long time, he was the uh, anchor for a weekend update. 
He's famous for the Hans and Franz sketch with Dana Carvey with the muscly yep. Austrian guys. We're going yep. to a pomp you up. Yep. So uh, now, you know, he, he lives in L.A. and he uh, invites celebrities to go on hikes with him. And it is chat. It's such a great show. Like, do you oh, watch yeah. it, Joel? I've seen a few and they're, they're great. It's, it's almost like uh, comedians in cars with uh, Seinfeld. Yeah, that seems to be the new thing, huh? Like, instead of just yeah. a, a traditional formal interview, you know, it's more like, let's drive in a car, let's eat hot wings, let's go for a hike. It's always some random gimmick outside of just the interview. Kevin Nealon is so funny. I love his sense of humor. Oh, it's so dry. Yeah. So dry. So, like, dry and random. Yeah. Which I love. <laughs> Because I feel like that's how I am. I'm pretty... Yeah, you, you totally are, yeah. It's very much deep thoughtish. Yes, I love deep thoughts. Jack Handy. <laughs> so Jack funny. Handy. Oh, gosh. Uh, I'll right. have to watch a few more of those, though, for sure. Yeah, they're on YouTube. Check them out. It's free, so even better. Yeah. That's all for this week. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us on our humble little podcast. You could do us a huge favor by subscribing to our show wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Stitcher, Podbean, Google Play, or Apple Podcasts. And be sure to rate our show and leave a review. Your rating will help others find this show. And be sure to find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Conversation on Tap. Thank you for listening. Joel, cheers. Cheers. Cheers, my friend. So far. We'll see you guys next week. See ya. Stay safe, everybody. Stay safe. Stay safe. Stay safe.